choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Ten, because that nine, goal ignition will serve to organize start. and measure the Six, best five, of our energies four, and skills. Three, because that two, challenge is one, one that we're willing to accept. Zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Welcome, everybody, to the ninth episode of the New Space Vision podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Mars. Now, you may think, why covering Mars in a New Space podcast? The two dominating TV shows about Mars are The Expanse and Mars. In both shows, the colonization is driven by private companies. Today, we have a Mars expert. Jake Robbins is the host and producer of We Martians. So, Jake, how did you become Mars-obsessed? Well, that's probably a pretty long, uh, long story. I'm not sure where to start with that one. Um, you know, there's a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of just love with Mars that is stemming from. It's such a planet that's so close to ours, um, both in proximity, but also just in, you know, what makes it the planet that it is. We're both rocky bodies. You know, we have a similar past, but somewhere along the line, our paths diverged, and Earth became this rich, lovely place where we all live, and it's beautiful with rivers and forests and mountains. And then Mars became this cold, arid. Uh, desert. And that, that's really fascinating to me to see kind of how those stories diverge and learning about it uh, has been a, a passion of mine. I, I'll totally admit there's a, there's a marketing side to it. Um, when I went to go and make a space podcast, I said, how can I differentiate myself and what's the niche that I can do? And I, there wasn't a lot of Mars specific podcasts. So I said, well, hey, this is uh, great for two different reasons. And so I, I dug in. And I think it was also great timing, right? You, um, you started in 2016, right? And maybe uh, can you tell us a bit what you're talking about in your podcast? Yeah, so I mean, the, the two big themes would be Mars planetary science. Um, so just like I said, understanding what's happening on this planet. Like a lot of uh, the preconceptions are about Mars being this dead red rock, um, but that's not true in any way. There's so much dynamic stuff happening on the surface with geology and, and all this kind of stuff. Its atmosphere is really rich and interesting. So understanding those kinds of topics to um, not only just you know for the joy of, of discovering something, but but also for the the express purpose of understanding what we need to know before we go there as, as humans, right? And that kind of is the other part of the podcast. Um, getting humans out of low Earth orbit and into deep space, that's another kind of really big passion of mine. And Mars is, to me, a, a very long-term goal, but I'm also interested in sort of sending people to the moon and, and just anything outside of low Earth orbit. That's, that really excites me. So that's kind of the two, the two big dynamics I play with. So everything beyond low Earth orbit, now we had a, like a big milestone in the history uh, of um, commercial space, which was uh, the crewed flight to ISS, which was in low Earth orbit, <laughs> yeah. but which, which of course was a small step. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really exciting yeah. event too. I mean, and I, I didn't cover that as part of um, We Martians, but, uh, you know, I do another podcast with my friend, Anthony Colangelo. It's called Off Nominal and it's uh, it's much more casual. We, you know, we literally drink beer and talk about space. That's kind of the, the podcast, but uh, we did a live stream for it and it was just, that was just a really exciting event because maybe it in itself isn't lower, you know, low earth orbit itself is not super revolutionary these days, but this is setting a new paradigm for these private companies to, actually participate and make big differences and you know if we keep enabling them it's it's there's no telling what what might happen next yeah i absolutely agree and what i also think is that really this launch has really again uh sparked the interest of the general public if i talk to my friends which unfortunately are not as excited as i am about space uh, exploration 
uh, a lot of them have really watched it launch and also said, wow, that looked so futuristic and everything looked so cool. You really think about it, it's just incredible. And, and every time you watch a launch from, from SpaceX or from Blue Origin and you launch something in space and something lands vertically back on ground, it, it looks so futuristic. And I think that increased the interest in space exploration and then also, of course, the funding in space exploration. It's one building block mm -hmm. after the other. I was in general interested, so you started in 2016 with the podcast series, were you involved with space before that or, or how did it come that you started the podcast uh, from now onwards? Yeah, I was a little more than an enthusiast and actually pretty recent. Um, I think I really started paying attention when um, Commander Chris Hadfield uh, commanded the ISS. So he was the first Canadian, uh, I'm Canadian, uh, he was the first Canadian to command the International Space Station. That was in 2013. And, you know, he was really good at public outreach. He did all these fantastic videos in space and he recorded a music video, which was very exciting. Um, you know, I, I love the guy and he's just su such a, an inspiration. Um, I remember watching his videos and, and kind of starting asking questions about this space station. Like what, what, what kind of space station is it? I'm like, how big is it? And I, I remember looking at maps. I wanted to see a map of the space station. I want to know <laughs> if I turn left there, what's behind it? Like I wanted to really figure out the layout. And then uh, as you two are probably very well aware, you fall into that, that rabbit hole and you never come out again. Um, I, I started playing a lot of Kerbal Space Program. I'll totally admit that was another uh, nice. uh, hick, uh, hook for me. And uh, I was doing these kind of interesting little, it was a hobby project, but I was recreating historical missions in Kerbal Space Program and throwing up the pictures on on Reddit and, and just, you know, having some fun conversations and learning about space history so I could catch up. And I think that was uh, uh, an early taste of science communication and, you know, sharing this with the public. And uh, I was hooked. And so... Um, as I got more and more into it, I kind of started to ask myself, like, can I be more involved with space? Can I, can I do more than just, you know, consume space content? And I was in a podcast at the time. I said, oh, you know, I could probably figure out a podcast. So uh, <laughs> I did. I just uh, turned it on. You know, you, you buy an $80 mic and then and see what happens. Yeah, now you're really uh, on the forefront when it comes to producing great podcasts uh, with the topic space exploration. And you mentioned Chris Hadfield, and you already had so many great guests on your podcast. I was wondering, maybe did you already had Chris or Elon or Richard or Jeff? Had did you had any of the big names already on your podcast, or are they still on the list? Uh, I haven't had Chris says? on yet. Um, that's uh, that's still a future goal for me. I'm sure we'll find some reason to talk soon. Um, uh, but uh, I did actually yeah. have, uh, just last week, uh, was able to have a conversation with Tori Bruno, who's the CEO of uh, the United Launch Alliance. Oh. Um, so just talking about, um, that's nice. uh, he's preparing an Atlas V rocket right now, him and his teams for the Mars Perseverance rover, which is launching in just a few weeks now. So um, that was a really uh, fun conversation to geek out about Mars. Uh, you know, his company has launched literally yeah. every um, US Mars mission in history, um, you know, ULA and the, the heritage companies that kind of led to it. So um, he's got a lot of a lot of experience in the institutional experience in that uh, company to do that. So it was a fascinating conversation for sure. Yeah, and he's also definitely uh, pushing new space, right? He set out the price. Of, I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it was it ten thousand dollars per liter or per kilogram of water that he would definitely buy it? Or he, he set, definitely set out a price out there which he would be willing to pay if a company would offer water in in low Earth orbit to really build up this low earth orbit uh, economy and i think i think yeah it's super we are definitely looking forward to that conversation 
But but coming back to the topic of Mars, so what is the current state of Mars in 2020? What are the exciting planned missions in Mars and what are the missions for this year's Mars window? So for all the people which are not so aware about uh, what's yeah. going well, on Yeah, well, I mean, now. Mars is, besides Earth, Mars is the most explored planet in our solar system. Uh, I think we have something like eight missions operating there today, which is, uh, you know, collaborations between the United States and Europe and even India has an orbiter there right now. So it's a well-explored planet, which um, is is great because we have so many rich data sets to combine and, and, and understand different stories. The nice thing about 2020 is it's sort of a, a landmark year. We have three missions flying in this launch window. Now, the, the nature of the orbital dynamics with Mars and Earth means that you can only really go there every 26 months. You get this sort of three-week window every two, two, and a, two and change years. You launch everything then, and then you, if you miss it, you have to wait two years. So it's, it's brutal. It's like really a punishing uh, schedule to try and launch spacecraft to. But that window opens up on July 15th, you know, mid-July or so is when the, the orbital dynamics line up. Um, so the United States is launching the Perseverance rover, which is a huge flagship mission. It's the successor to Curiosity, if you know that one. Um, very similar designs, but with a whole new instrument suite and a whole new mission. Um, then we have China, which is launching their very first uh, mission to Mars, their first interplanetary mission outside of the Earth-Moon system. Uh, they've got a, a very ambitious mission, which is an orbiter, a lander, and a rover that drives off the lander. So they've got a, a big uh, mission to, to chew up there. Yeah. And then um, a newcomer on the block. So the United Arab Emirates has a mission um, launching called Mars Hope. And you know they, that space agency is only five or six years old. It's very, very young. Uh, they've had a couple of, of Earth observation satellites put up and that have been successful. And they're taking on Mars now, which is really exciting. So three missions going to Mars this year. Um, the scientific questions that they span uh, are, are very broad. Mars Hope is very atmospheric focused, so they're studying what's going on with the, the solar wind and the atmosphere. Um, and then the rovers, of course, are, are getting right down on the surface and, and really digging into a specific location and understanding the geology and astrobiology and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's super exciting. This is a, a huge, huge year for Mars, and I'm I'm jazzed. So. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, hopefully uh, they will all uh, also land on Mars. Like that, that's the problem, right? Uh, out of the 40 missions, I, I think two thirds uh, failed actually, right? Uh, so what, what do you think? Uh, how is uh, the possibility that uh, those missions uh, will succeed? And um, also like, what does it mean for um, like, for example, the United Arab Emirates to have a Mars mission? Yeah, uh, Mars can be punishing if, if you look at the stats like that, for sure. I mean, one, <laughs> One way to, to really, I always like to take a step back from those stats because it's easy to look at all of Mars exploration and go, oh, like half these missions are just gone, but they were very heavily weighted early on. And so in the 60s and 70s, yeah, they were failing left and right. They got a lot better now. And so you have to look at those statistics with a, a grain of salt. And in fact, if you look at the United States, they've been tremendously successful at Mars. Uh, when it comes to landers, they've landed, I think it's uh, nine out of 10 of them or something like that. So um, there's just the the Mars polar lander, which was their the mistake that they made, but everything else has landed successfully. So I have a lot of confidence in Perseverance. It's a tested design. Uh, the folks at Jet Propulsion Laboratory really know what they're doing. Um, so that should be good. Now, China and the UAE, it's their first go at this. Um, so you have to definitely steal yourself for the possibility that maybe you, at least one of those will, will not make it. Um, that can be okay too, though, right? This is sort of the learning experience. The, the first U.S. probe to Mars did not did not make it to Mars either. So um, it's okay to, to mess that up. But I'm just really excited to see the different approaches. Um, you know, 
you get so used to the NASA way to send missions to Mars that that's sort of, you think that's all there can be, but uh, who knows? I mean, between these two other countries, there could be some really different innovative approaches and what can they learn to share with others? And uh, it's, it's pretty exciting, I think. So we are also very much interested in the in what's going on in, in China in terms of new space and space exploration in general. I mean, they're really leapfrogging so many, uh, so many steps which have been uh, have been done by, for example, the U.S. or uh, the Soviet Republic uh, before that. Um, but it's always a little bit hard to re-get really the full coverage about what's really going on in China just because of the language barrier. So we're also looking currently for someone who's really, who really knows the Chinese market in terms of new space, in terms of space exploration to, to share this insight, these insights also with our audience. But I'm also really thrilled to see some of these new space actors and I would definitely consider uh, UAE in this category um, to really take on this, this really incredible hard mission to fly to another planet because the moon is one thing uh, and we have seen some private exploration in the direction of moon. We have seen Space IL from, from Israel last year trying approaching uh, to land on moon and so close, yeah. <laughs> they were so close to getting there so close and we also so if there's someone out there who is listening from space il or know someone from space IL, we would love to get them on the podcast as well from ohb who also had this yeah, small moon mission so taking on mars is really the next big step yeah so taking mars is so interesting because i think mars always has sparked the imagination of of humans since really uh, decades now we have seen all these movies since since the early uh, early years of, of movies which talked about people uh, are aliens from Mars and, and these this big channels on Mars which were signs for life on Mars and um, I mean there's so many movies which also talk about that Earth is invaded from Mars. Of course these are maybe all a little bit far stretched from really how life could really look like on Mars but maybe what's your take on, um, on life on Mars? Do you think uh, we will see any proof of it anytime soon? Do you think there is life on Mars at all? Or do you think it's a dead rock? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question to, to predict, <laughs> a yes or no. <laughs> um, like my, my take on it is that understanding and discovering life on another planet, there's... Like it will be one of the biggest scientific discoveries ever. It would be monumental. And, you know, I think, what is it? Carl Sagan always says with uh, 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 great claims require great evidence, right? Um, I'm butchering the quote, but, uh, you know, if you're going to say something like that, you need to really back it up with a lot of evidence. And I think that's one of the approaches that uh, at least what NASA is taking right now is that, you know, if we're going to find life on Mars, we need to really know what we're talking about um, because it can be a, a pretty big thing. And so, they're sort of on this journey right now to really kind of incrementally step by step knock off all the different variables of you know, these open questions about you know was mars habitable in the past is it still habitable how did it you know become inhabitable is it still habitable at all maybe it's not um looking for signs of habitability actual habitability, signs of past life, signs of current life. There's lots of different ways you can look at this and, and that's, a, it's a big job. And so, you know, it's, it's not as simple as is, or is there, or isn't there, uh, could life have come from earth and it's actually the same stuff, you know, and just some sort of panspermia effect where an asteroid has hit earth, 
little bits of life float through the solar system, then crash into Mars. And now it's there. And it's just, you know, one branch of our, our life tree here on earth, or did it generate, you know, was there some sort of second Genesis and now it's, you know, developed independently. And if it does, what does it look like? Does it look like ours? Is, is life kind of one, one trajectory you can go on? We don't know. Is, or is there some whole, some other way of that life could manifest that we wouldn't even recognize? These are like, that's a really, really complicated question. Um, I feel really confident that we're going to make a lot of progress on it in our lifetime. Um, if not at Mars, then maybe one of these fantastic moons of Saturn, like uh, Enceladus or, or Jupiter, like Europa. Uh, those are some pretty prime places to look. Um, but uh, either way, I'm excited just to, you know, even if it's a long series of no, there isn't just a lot of no, 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 no. I think that's really exciting to sort of knock those uncertainties off the list and, and really learn more and feel more confident about what we're finding. Yeah, yeah. I think like th this is a great saying, but the other thing is also that we want to send life to Mars, right, with crude mm -hmm. missions. Um, and there I also want to find to find a gap uh, to uh, new space and commercial space, because as we know, uh, when Elon Musk started his rocket company, SpaceX, his initial first project was actually he wanted to send mice to Mars, right? The result was actually like the new space leader, SpaceX, right? This is really interesting. Uh, he started with a vision and now they are the commercial driver of the entire industry. Uh, I just want to know from your perspective, what do you think right now? How, uh, how close are we today in 2020 to put people on Mars? That's, that's another one where there's so many weird variables that could that could throw your predictions way off, right? I mean, if if I'm thinking in the sort of the classic NASA paradigm, the way we've been doing human spaceflight for the last, call it, you know, 30, 40 years, um, I don't think we're that close. I don't think NASA is ready to um, drive that themselves. And, and if, if NASA was in charge of it, it could be 2040s, 2050s, 2060s. I, I don't even know. They may never go. Um, so that's the one thing but then we have this new variable like you said um you know spacex and other companies are really changing the dynamic of everything spacex was the the leading one but we also have blue origin that's making some pretty big changes in sort of how we're doing landers um you've got small sat companies like rocket lab and stuff doing some pretty amazing things and they're driving at a pace that we don't understand yet we're not used to this kind of of, of speed and when we go that fast you're going to have different kinds of problems so we don't really know, like launch is one thing, like launch is great. And I'm really excited about what SpaceX has done, but when they start going past launch and they start looking at, you know, the moon and, and doing these landers with Starship and Dragon XL and, and, you know, going out to Mars and stuff, there are just whole bunch, a bunch of different problems that we are not used to dealing with. And, uh, it could go either way. Maybe they're amazing and the engineers knock off the problems and, you know, we've got people on Mars in five to 10 years, that'd be pretty awesome. Maybe they run into the exact same problems NASA's run into and it's just extraordinarily expensive and they can't get any support and, you know, you get stuck. I, I don't really know. I don't, I don't like making predictions if you haven't <laughs> been able to tell yet. I'm not a very, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not a gambler, but uh, those are the kind of things I think about. I mean, there's a lot of uh, unknowns. The point that I would make is that the way we have been doing it hasn't been working. You know, people thought we'd be on Mars in the eighties after Apollo. That did not happen 40 years later we're still not there so whether or not this this new space way is the right way to do it i'm just really excited to try something different and see what happens because that's that's how you do science you just try different hypotheses they work or they don't and then you move on right so that's that's what's really exciting to me 
Yeah. And I think like what's really important uh, to make it a success, uh, not in the 60s, hopefully before, is um, that you um, actually make it uh, like a business case, right? That you trend, uh, you have to solve chicken and egg problem of the budget. And mm -hmm. like NASA was really great in initializing those things. We all know it's really, really expensive, but you also have to have a commercial income, yeah. which SpaceX is now uh, really doing great, not only with their launches, also now with their uh, satellite constellation. Um, and I mean, the en entire vision of the company is to fly to Mars and they will all use all of those also like commercial tourists uh, to finance this uh, endeavor, right? Uh, so that, that I'm really curious to see if this will work or, or if, they, uh, if it's still not enough money because um, then it may be 60s, 70s or 80s, depending on the political stability. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's a, a really great point because SpaceX has really thrived in the, the the domain that they've worked in, right? Because there's so much demand for for commercial satellites, and there's so much demand for you know their Starlink is going to address demand for internet on Earth, and NASA's got this demand for for spaceflight, so they've got lots of different customers they can play with, and they're doing well. But who's going to buy trips to Mars right now? It's basically NASA for them. That's great, but if you're a if you have one customer, that's not a very good business case, as anyone uh, who's run a business will know. There's a lot of theories that oh, if you build it, they will come, and there will be this. There's some nascent demand for a bunch of trips to Mars that we don't know about. It just hasn't popped up because there's no way to get there. Maybe, but again, we got to try that, right? And seeing how SpaceX will uh, adapt to a very different kind of uh, market environment will be really fascinating to see. My gut is that. They're waving their hands a little bit on it, and it's going to be harder than they anticipate. But uh, I mean, I don't really know. That's again, that's a pretty big question, right? Yeah, yeah. Elon Musk was asked often why SpaceX is, for example, no uh, company which is listed on a stock exchange, and the answer is exactly that. If you're on stock exchange on Nasdaq or wherever, you have to see what the outcome will be in in one year, maybe in one quarter, in two years or so. If we're talking about multiplanetary exploration, we're talking about decades. And I think no or very few shareholders on the general stock market are willingly to wait that long for, for some returns. And these returns can be huge if uh, you really figure out something which you can do on Mars, except sending some brave explorers out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, the, the flip side too is that they're not just self-funded they have private investors you know they're not going through the stock market but they do have private investors True. they probably have a little bit longer of an outlook but uh you know they're still beholden to that yeah. as well and a lot of that money is probably coming in because you know they can go after the launch market or they can go after the satellite market i would be curious to know how many of their private investors signed up because they also want to make life multi-planetary <laughs> that would be a really interesting um, statistic <laughs> to see <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's true yeah you mentioned jeff bezos we talked about elon musk Elon Musk is talking about we should go to Mars and SpaceX hasn't talked about Moon a lot. Now they are also part of NASA's uh, plans to explore Moon. But but definitely Elon Musk is more team Mars while Jeff Bezos is more team Moon. And you had multiple podcasts, I think, about the topic. Should you first go to Moon and then to Mars? How do you combine these plans to fly to one or the other first, one another? So I wanted to ask, what's your take on this? What are your thoughts on it? Maybe you could also explain a little bit what are the pros and cons for either of these plans. Yeah, that's the, the great debate, right? Moon or Mars, which one do you do first? Um, I, I am a person who 
likes to reject the premise of either or. Um, I, I, I don't think that our, our, the only two options we have are go to moon first or go to Mars first. I think we can do them in tandem. We can have, um, you know, different parts of each help the other. Um, in general, Mars exploration with people is going to be a tremendously challenging task. There are uh, budgetary issues. There are technological issues. There are um, one that's not talked a lot about a lot is uh, operational issues. Um, just how do we how do you run a mission with people on that time scale and that you know that that distance? There's a lot of just you know ops questions that need to be solved. There's a lot of uh, things we need to figure out when we go to Mars. And it's not to say that we couldn't just go do it if we had the money and the will, but we can go to the moon and we can't you know buy down all of that risk, but we can buy down some of it. You know we can learn a little bit about what it's like to run a long-term mission that's pretty far from home and doesn't have, you know, three-hour access to a doctor on the surface anymore. Um, we can learn a little bit about how do you do planetary surface operations? You know, if you're going to go out and do an EVA on the surface of the moon every day for, you know, six months or something, like, how do you how do you do that? What's, what are the things you can learn about uh, operating out there in spacesuits and, and doing you know, all kinds of science, geology, geosciences, uh, in situ resource utilization. How do you, how do you go through and, and do those things? We can learn that at the moon and transfer that knowledge to Mars. So I think they help each other. Um, it's probably important to keep Mars as a long-term vision because that, you know, that's a driving force. So you can, you can uh, work on the moon and go, well, we're doing this because we want to go to Mars. And that's a good incentive to keep moving forward. I think they play off, off each other a lot more than, than people like to admit if they're stuck in one of the other camps but um yeah that's sort of my take on it i think uh, there's 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 benefits to going both almost at the same time yeah yeah and um also really interesting is uh what, what you said uh for for moon exploration i mean there was the nasa uh big nasa contract where actually boeing uh was was left out right of this contract um and there is spacex they have the pole position right um, but then with Blue Origin, you don't hear a lot of them. So do you know uh, how, how far they are and how do you see them? How mature are they? Is it actually real competition for SpaceX or are they far behind? I would argue that the SpaceX design, out of the three that, that won these lunar lander contracts, so you've got SpaceX with Starship, you've got Blue Origin with this national team, they call it, right? So they're partnering with Lockheed Martin, with Draper and with Northrop Grumman. And then you have um, the Dynetics approach, which is sort of a conglomerate of a whole bunch of different uh, companies, um, you know, yeah. across the United States, even Europe, I think Talos Alenia is in there. And um, so those are the three kind of designs. The, the SpaceX one is honestly probably the least technologically mature. So uh, my guess is, is, as someone like Blue Origin is, is the most likely to win the first landing. Um, they've got a lot of heritage hardware uh, into their design, right? So the, the ascent stage is a ton of Orion um, hardware and software from uh, Lockheed Martin. The, the, the Blue Origin lander is is pretty straightforward. They're they're coming. They're having some engine problems in their development cycle, but they're they're getting through it. Um, you've got Northrop Grumman's Cygnus Tug, which is a well tested design. Um, Cygnus is a pretty good little spacecraft. And then uh, Draper, I mean, they they designed the the code for the Apollo guidance computer. They know how to land on the moon, right? So um, that's a pretty solid little team that they have there. They're probably very well positioned to have a good chance at winning that first landing. The Starship play there for NASA, I think, is longer term. They are putting, you know, they didn't get a lot of money. They, you know, they got a quarter of what Blue Origin got in this award. And that I think NASA is just saying, we're trying to just keep tabs on Starship. We want to get our fingers in there, get a little bit of money, <laughs> and make sure we're keeping an eye on what's going on there. Because in the long run, 
Starship is a lot more economically sustainable, right? If, if SpaceX can achieve the things they want to achieve in terms of reusability, uh, Starship could be very, very inexpensive for them. And so NASA's sort of, you know, let's put all these options on the table, we'll let them all kind of compete. We expect Blue Origin to come first, maybe Dynamics. They're, you know, they've got a pretty decent design as well. And then in the long term, Starship could be the one that helps us do the, the not the first landing, but the, the base and the gateway and all those kind of sustainable things they keep talking about afterwards, right? That's interesting. So your, your money is on uh, Blue Origin when I got it right. Yeah, I mean, it's there's, there's still a lot of uncertainty there because all three designs are depending on a rocket that has not flown yet. And all three designs are, are, are pretty uh, out there. I mean, this is... <laughs> I don't think it's as easy as saying, you know, commercial crew and cargo worked great, so let's yeah. do lunar landers. But like I said, I'm excited to try something different. They seem pretty well positioned, but uh, we'll see how it goes. There's still a lot of time for that to happen, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, what I recognize is that you uh, only mentioned U.S. companies. So what do you think could be there uh, another company from another country, maybe, which is the first? In terms of what NASA wants to do with people, is that what you're asking? No, no, in general. Like in uh, general. To, fly, to fly to moon, to land on moon in a, in a crewed mission. I think China is probably the only one that would be right now in that sort of sphere of having any chance, but I don't think they have a short term enough plan for that. I know they do have a plan, but they've got a lot of uh, low earth orbit stuff they're doing first. So they're building their Chanhe uh, space station. They've got a new crew vehicle. that's going to take people to that. They want to run that um, longer term. That's going to soak up their attention, their time and their money uh, a lot, right? Their new crew capsule is deep space capable. There's going to be like a, a moon version of it. But uh, if if they're doing anything with landers right now, we don't know about it quite yet. And so my guess is their plans for, for lunar landing would be, you know, 10 to 15 years out right now. So I don't think yeah. there's a lot of chance they would beat the U.S. unless the U.S. changes policy directions. I mean, there's an election coming up this year and who knows that they, they do that every four, four to eight years, right? They, they blow yeah. it all up and start again. So who knows what ends up happening? It could be another 40 years before we go, right? Do you remember what President Bush said about when he wanted to see Americans on, on moon or Mars? I just remember as a child standing on this airfield uh, on, a, on a space science fair And uh, someone was talking about the plans of President Bush, but I don't know. Did, did he wanted to send people to moon? Or so to if Mars? you're talking um, like Bush uh, Senior, the first Bush, uh, he had yeah. that. Uh, I think it was called the Vision for Space, uh, some really bland political name, but the, the Space Exploration Vision Initiative, whatever it was. Um, and they they had it's sort of a, an infamous plan because they they brought in. Um, I think it was Frank Borman, who was an Apollo astronaut, to sort of be the consultant on it. And they built this whole architecture, this amazing, there's going to be a space station and, and you know, a, a, the shuttle, and we're going to go to the moon, and we're going to go to Mars, we do all this thing. And uh, Congress asked them how much it was going to cost, and they said something like $500 billion. Um, and Congress <laughs> said, nope, and they stamped no on it and shut the whole thing down. And it, that's sort of like... The infamous report, you know, they call it the nine-day report where they examined it and just ended all Mars exploration. Nothing ever happened from it. So that's sort of a very infamous uh, sign. And then every every president after that has kind of made some sort of half-handed promise about when they're going to go, and it just keeps get moving back, right? So I, <laughs> I tend to take presidential proclamations yeah. with a grain of salt when, they, when they're coming after it. Absolutely. So space exploration, especially human space exploration and deep space exploration always has been really... Yeah, has always been driven by national pride and national prestige, uh, some kind of power play to show we are the most capable ones and we, we really can achieve stuff like this. 
What is your take on a business case to explore Mars? What do you think could be interesting uh, business cases to fly to Mars, but also maybe already on the way to Mars? How do you could commercialize this process? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's not a great business case. I'll be honest with you. It's, that's not the uh, the leading reason you'd want to do it right now. There is basically a science business case. So um, NASA, different academic institutions, other space agencies around the world certainly want to send payloads to study Mars, right? So that's kind of one pool of customers. But if you're, again, if you're running a, a business and you're saying how, how great of a customer base that is, it's small and it's it's subject to political whims. And, uh, you know, education is not something that has historically been just overflowing with money uh, in most places, right? So that's kind of the only one we have right now. I mean, there's there's a lot of ideas around like in situ resource utilization. What what resources are on Mars? Can you go and get water there? Can you go and get precious metals? Maybe um, we don't really know how to get them out of the Earth or out of the out of Mars uh, yet, and we don't know how to get them home yet. So there's there's a lot of questions around that one. That business case is still very far in the future. You could probably build up some infrastructure around the science operations. So, uh, you know, one thing that I've always kind of asked is when is NASA going to outsource their deep space communications at Mars? If they've got all these missions there and they're all sending data home, uh, right now they're relaying them through other science missions and it's all this complicated network of different spacecraft talking to each other. But I would love to see just sort of a, you know, a commercial orbiter at Mars that's just like optimized to just pump data back to Earth and let all the science missions feed up to it. That'd be pretty cool. You probably want to have a couple of them to add some redundancy. So that could be a business opportunity uh, going forward there. Um, but other than that, I mean, I can't think of a whole lot that would be a winning lottery ticket for this is how I'm going to make my fortune, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, so maybe one business case which could be of interest is mining the moons of Mars, for example. And we have seen some startups, especially during the last few years, coming up with the idea of mining asteroids. And all these companies have gone out of business, have been bought up by, for example, cryptocurrency yeah. companies <laughs> and and. And I think planetary resources also, if anyone is listening to this and has been involved in planetary resources, we would be, we would love to talk to you about this and, and the endeavor uh, and the process you went through. Because I think the, the vision of creating a startup which really sets out the goal to mine the resources of the solar system. It's something from the from the science fiction books. Yeah, it's a long journey until we're there. And so it really needs some very patient investors. If there's an expert in this call, then it's you. So maybe you could also tell us a little bit about the moons of, of Mars and if they are maybe the more interesting. Yeah, the, the moons are, are, are fascinating. Um, you know, we haven't really had a, a mission go explore them yet. Um, some of the orbiters can fly by and, and, and you know, take pictures and explore them. But uh, we've, we have to kind of wait for some of that. Uh, Japan's got a mission on the books for 2024, which is the Martian Moons Explorer, um, which is going to go and, and land on, on Phobos and Deimos. And I think they have a European lander as well, which I think um, maybe even DLR is participating in that, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's going to be pretty exciting. I had a, an interview with um, Elizabeth Frank, who did used to work at uh, Planetary Resources, and she's uh, at a, a different company now. Um, but she sort of told me the story about how early that business case is. Like you said, you need patient investors because it's it's pretty far out. They, you know, they were talking about trying to go in and how do we how do we get these resources out of these asteroids or out of these moons of Mars? 
And the question came up in the meeting is like, well, you know, what, what are these things made out of? Like, what happens if I poke it? Like what, what would happen if I just poked <laughs> the moon of Mars and no one knew, like, we don't know what would happen if you poked it. And that's how early we are in that process is that we don't even know what these things are. Like they're, they're, they're really turning out to be pretty dynamic, little small bodies. And we've got some missions at, uh, you know, Osiris Rex is visiting the asteroid Bennu. Japan just finished up the Hayabusa two at, at a different asteroid. So, and we're learning all sorts of bizarre things that are happening on these. They're, they're less like, you know, big chunks of one solid rock and more like piles of rubble that are just sort of gravitationally bound. Like they're just these little, like dirt piles. So um, they're, they're really bizarre to work with. And we're still got to figure out how they operate. And the moons of Mars are much like that. The Phobos and Deimos are, are very small. They're just tiny little moons. They're, they're not even round because they're so small, right? So they're, they're really just sort of these rubble captured asteroid. Gravity is very, very low. You don't so much as land on these moons as you do sort of dock with them. Um, <laughs> they're very, very, very small. We'd have to go and explore it a little bit, but uh, they're we, we do know they're pretty fragile. Mars is probably going to break them up with its gravity um, uh, pretty soon, you know, geologically speaking. So uh, that's something to think about. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't even know if there are any resources there, to be honest. So that, that business case also pretty fragile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, as said also yeah. in the intro, I'm really, really big fan of the expanse uh, because that shows how it could look like. But yeah. I, I also believe it will, will take a lot of a lot of time. So um, we we have seen like SpaceX um, with the with the first vision uh, to fly to to Mars enabled uh, um, accelerated the speed of of space technology also in the commercial domain. Um, so we we covered that topic. But now I want to hear your opinion of why do you think are crewed Mars missions important and what may be the impact of those missions for humankind. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, I've been struggling with that question for years now, trying to figure out like, what is, what is that like magic bullet? Like, what is the, if, if we can communicate this idea, people will want to go. And so far, my answer is that there isn't one idea yet. And that's probably why we haven't gone yet. Um, I did this really very informal, non-scientific study <laughs> where I, I, I put a, a poll out on Twitter. This was years ago now. And, um, and it, I got some traction on it. So I had a, um, you know, I just said, reply with me that question. Why, why should we send people to Mars? And I got uh, somewhere over a hundred, 150 responses that I kind of put together and tried to categorize. I said, okay, well, this person wants to go for national pride. You mentioned national pride. Okay. This person wants yeah. to go for science. This person wants to go to mine resources. This person wants to go for the sheer adventure and tried to categorize them all. And they were so diverse and spread out. There was not one consensus. Um, so I, I find that every individual has their own personal reasons that are important to them. Um, for me, I think the science is really important. Um, I also like the idea of the sort of inspirational adventure. I think that a crewed mission to Mars is something the world could rally around and really feel inspired and, and lots of good can come from that. And there's also a, a sort of a long-term economic play. Um, one thing I like to call out is after Apollo, there was a huge uh, surge of uh, degrees handed out in, in advanced engineering and, and physics and all those kind of things. There was like a massive education bump that came from Apollo. And we're probably seeing the, the benefits of that cascading for multi-generations, right? So what would Mars do? For that uh we would get the same thing probably so those are kind of some reasons that are important to me others may say we need to do it for geopolitical national security issues and then uh uh like i said resources there's there's all sorts of different things that you can they can make it so i think the way we're gonna go is when someone who is smart enough and articulate enough to combine those reasons into some sort of consensus that's like 
gets enough people in that tent that's like, yeah, we want to participate in this. That's when we're going to be able to go. And that is what we're missing right now, I think, to, to get us there. Maybe that's Elon Musk. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's just in the nature of uh, uh, humankind uh, that we explore, um, uh, yes. you know, where we are. We we don't know what it is for, but we just explore. That's That was over the entire history, what, what uh, has driven us, right? Yeah, totally. I think... If we will find life on Mars or if we send life to Mars, in one way or the other, we will definitely change life on Earth in such a way that it will really impact everyone on the planet. And I think that's, that's just the great beauty of space exploration. And, and that's also why I'm fascinated by space exploration and why I want to be part of this industry is because you're pushing the boundary and you're maybe a small part, but you are a part of the big human need for exploration, the inner pursuit for, for something bigger. And I think that's, that's really incredible. But yeah, Mars, Earth and sending life from Earth to Mars will be something which will change lives on Earth forever. I think we covered a lot of topics. We definitely have figured out it's hard to make a business case out of Mars exploration. So probably the next podcast is, uh, is about the topic which is startup or business case which is easier to commercialize. But I find, found it extremely interesting because maybe one anecdote from my time at university, I was part of this lecture where one of the yeah, board members of this big aerospace prime was talking about generation spaceships, right? And I mean, you would never see a CEO or board member of big automotive company talking about how we will have robots flying in the air in, in a few years or really having the talking about about these big and bold visions. And I think in the space industry, it's much more common to think big, to have big dreams, and then just start to work on them. And I think that's really incredible about the industry. And I want to say thank you. It was really, really interesting. I hope all of the listeners of the New Space Vision podcast also now listen to We Martians. It's a great podcast. They have a Patreon page, which you should definitely check out. And I would want to say thank you. Jake, well, thanks really, so much for really having nice me on, guys. This is a, a fun conversation. I love talking about Mars. I love talking about space. So happy to come back whenever you like. It was a pleasure. And for all the listeners, uh, Jake was uh, smiling for the entire podcast. <laughs> so it's also a great sign. Yeah. Cool. <laughs>